Bill Clinton once said that unless you're from strictly from sub-Saharan African countries, we are all one people. And that's a direct quote. Unless you're from sub-Saharan. Okay. All right. We're live. We're live once again. We are live, right? On the Zeit. We're live. The Zeit. I'm I'm broadcasting this at the moment. Welcome back the kid Paul Thomas Anderson expert. We're very excited Guys, to have you is, on the Zeit. This is such an honor again and uh I appreciate you calling me by my uh, selected I guess nickname your pseudonym pseudonym, pseudonym. oh because, Pod, because pseudonyms play a uh, an important role in boogie nights. So they do. Do you see the kid light up in an explosion of sparks and a neon sign? Yes. Yes. All right. Good. Okay. So yeah, we we have a couple new subscribers. We've got uh, got Hayburn, Jack Hayburn, who was telling me a bit about his experience at a John Williams concert a couple years ago that he went to where they just played it was literally john williams directing or like what do you call those like uh composers or like when they conduct conductors (laughs) (laughs) and they apparently they went through every like major film score that john williams has done and they just played it live which sounds like jack hayburn introduced me to jack hayburn has an enormous quality understanding of film scores. He introduced me to the concept of listening for the sake of listening before. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like he would have been the first to jump on that. Uh, what was that podcast you recommended to me that I, the I've been crushing show. recently? Soundtrack show. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. I just wanted to shout out. Yeah. Also great mid range jump shot. Just Kentucky kid. Yeah. Wow. Kentucky kid. Knows his way I mean, well, let's just jump deeper into Hayburn's background. No, seriously. His form is so his technical form is really something, uh, to yeah. behold. It's just like a Kentuckian. It's a Kentuckians like, you know, uh, dream is to have this. So it's got all the angles, right? So yeah. Welcome Hayburn. And then Jeb, and then we got Jeb Pierce new guy not to be confused with uh jed and then uh our last one is uh matt graylin so wow this one's out of left field but i was actually wearing my a24 sweatshirt and he immediately came up to me he was like dude that is what i live for and apparently he's this huge a24 guy not a huge Mm. movie guy but huge a24 guy so big distinction there and that's interesting so graylin yeah graylin well graylin was actually in the the first time that we had seen this movie, Boogie Nights, was, I think, in Graylin's uh, room, in his dorm room. So that's actually a pretty uh, small world. And, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Him, he used to live with Aaron, uh, this guy, Aaron Loeb, who's a great guy and a great film buff. And together they would microwave meals and you smoke, and smoke weed. And among other things. That's not like, yeah, they weren't like potheads or anything. But, you know. Well, let's go through what we're watching. Sounds like the kid's ready to jump right in. I was I was just gonna hit the hole there because uh, we were kind of stalling out on Matt Graylin, with, and I was ready to keep going. <laughs> he uh, he, he has deeper, a great beard. But, but, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to show you. Now we go into kind of what we're at, where we're at, and, and then obviously the Many Saints of Newark is kind of a 
a New Jersey, well, there's too many Saints of Newark. There's one for the Sopranos aficionados slash Jonas Brothers, like Jonas Brothers teen girl fan, which I find myself what? in that pool. Wait. Well, uh, like what, like your obsession what about over, Jonas Brothers? <laughs> like if you have the same passion and fire over that a, a teenage girl has towards the Jonas Brothers, if you have that same feeling towards the Sopranos, then the Many Saints of Newark is one movie for you. Ah, uh, I got it. Yeah. And if you're just a regular just say, person, then it's a different movie. Can, can you just say real quick, I know we know, but real quick, what quick summary of the uh not the plot but what many saints of newark is about the many saints of newark is the prequel to the sopranos hbo series yeah so it takes place in the 60s in newark which if you know your history was a very controversial time and there were many riots that had to do with race in the vietnam war and um and so it basically tells the origin story of Tony Soprano, the mob, the mob boss from The Sopranos. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I totally get what you're saying. Then, in terms of, I yeah, and it's People a movie. Who are like fa- fangirl? Right. Yeah, not it's not a show. It's, it's a, a movie, movie. Yeah, but the show is a show. Was just oh yeah. So you were saying like you did not take it in the f- Sopranos fangirl way, but you can see why there's the obsession there. Was that your take, or you did? Incorrect. I'm complete. Gandolfini fangirl. You just, are a fangirl. Oh, absolute. Yeah. Just James Gandolfini is probably the number of my favorite New Jerseyan. Like top, yeah, top. My favorite New Jersey person is James Gandolfini. So and it's and I have had this theory about the Sopranos that like the New Jersey, the state, came to be in order so that the Sopranos could then come to be, and that the Sopranos coming to be. Um, like fully satisfied New Jersey's, um, you know, re- reason for existence. Does that mean that the Godfather trilogy was also created such that it could become a cultural bedrock and a reference within the Sopranos? That's pretty deep. That's like we're getting way. That's pretty deep. That's getting into like string theory. I feel like because now you're talking about like multi universes and could the Sopranos be without the Godfather? I'd probably say that. It, it could not be, but I wouldn't cross the. I wouldn't cross pollinate the two. Well, I was just saying the references within the Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know. Yes. No. Just a level. You. You. There would be no Sopranos if it wasn't for the Godfather, but you could also say that there would be no Sopranos if it wasn't for, uh, you know, Fellini or <laughs> Federico Fellini or all of these. Yeah. So. Yeah. Fair. I, 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 just string yeah, theory. I'm f- fangirl, string theory, James Gandolfini. That's pretty much my life in a nutshell. Yeah, I wonder like what what is the full list of things that needed to have existed for The Sopranos to then be created? I would probably throw some salami out Gabagool. there, salami, Gabagool. mortadella, yeah, some gabagool. Yeah, mm. some mm-hmm. nice Italian bread. I saw a Gabagool jersey at the Jets game. This guy had a number one Jets jersey. It's a Gabagool in the back. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I also watched that, and um, we might have to do a full-on mm-hmm. uh, discussion about it because I don't want to dive too deep because it will sidetrack us. But, I yeah, quite 
quite good. Obviously, I'm enamored with it. What did you think about the first half there, though, KY? First of all, are you a James Gandolfini fangirl, or are you just a regular civilian? Big time fangirl. I, I'm, I'm going to like your level of, you know, Jonas Brothers, Sean Mendez type. Yeah, sleeping on the sidewalk. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I'll be honest. So I, I would consider Sopranos probably a top three show of all time for me. But yeah, the first half of this movie, I don't know. Maybe it's like I wasn't paying attention enough mm. or whatever it was. I'm mm. not sold, but I kind of want to rewatch from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I did love to see Joey Diaz in there. Mm-hmm. Obviously strong cast, mm-hmm. but we'll see. That's It definitely deserves a rewatch. And so- like... Uh, yeah. The Sopranos creator, same guy who did this movie, right? So, David Chase is the Sopranos creator, and he wrote this movie. So the movie, just a, what stands out is, first of all, the fisheye lens opening. Such a great opening shot with the fisheye lens going through the, the cemetery. And I just couldn't help but think of, because Christopher Maltesanti, yeah. Christopher, uh, played by the great Michael Imperioli, uh, is the narrator, and he's narrating from the dead, and so I couldn't help but thinking that he's sleeping with the fishes, uh, with the fisheye lens. And so, That's great. <laughs> but all throughout, there's the, the the director does really good. I mean, for somebody, I think the director's <laughs> from the Midwest. I heard, which that person must be must got very lucky or something or I don't know, but uh, they were able to, in my opinion, use very strong. Uh, artistic lens, not just the lens, but also the uh, the tints on the lenses that they would do throughout were so great. The colors, you know, one shot would be this reddish, one shot would be this green, one shot would be blue, and uh, the first fisheye lens was like the first ten minutes of the movie. I feel like, or maybe it's maybe less than that, but I was very impressed. Very um, a lot of old Italian cinema. I felt like. Mm. I do wish that directors took more of a risk with using the fisheye lens in like very specific scenarios. Cause I feel like the Yorgos Lanthimos did that in the favorite and it seemed like he got a lot of shit for it, but I thought it was really well done. Say that again. Who's the, who's the favorite? I gotta write that down. Oh yeah. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos is the director. Yeah. There's a movie called the favorite. Uh, oh yeah. You should check it out. Oh man. This is a it was this is a good one. A twenty four, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is that right? Could be. Am I wrong? Did I just over <laughs> We got Emma Stone, Rachel Weiss. I don't think this was A twenty four, but I also wouldn't be surprised Fuck. if it was. Excuse my language. <laughs> Do I have to spell it like a British person? That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. The ending Can of we this just movie. Though, get together ridiculous. on something and just stop putting U's where you don't need a fucking U. Mm. All right, I'm gonna skip into it right I, there. I can't, uh, I can't get behind that. I thought you wouldn't, but I just like had to throw honor, it out there. Honor with an O U R. Ooh, that is a good one. Classy. It's no, so classy. It's not. It's just yeah. That's just because you have. All right, let's not get into this because I'm gonna get really heated about it. <laughs> What's what, just like as know, if we why, got into the Oxford comma. Well, what, 
first of all, Oxford. Let's Oxford not get comma into the Oxford day. comma. It, without an Oxford comma, that's not, like, how are you going to group the last two in it a series? Yeah. I know. Together? I agree. We're all Oxford comma fans. We've established this. But we're the, the minority. We are the minority. firmly behind no, the, the Oxford you, comma. If you don't use an Oxford <laughs> comma, it's like you, I mean, that's the next step there is like, um, is like extremism. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, just you're on yeah. youtube probably like once or, a week yeah you like capitalize like sports like you capitalize like baseball just in a random sentence or like mall like <laughs> i went to the mall like any like noun you capitalize you're, you're just like Ger- german style or anything you want to emphasize you, you just dinner. capitalize d capital d dinner <laughs> Dude, that is just making my skin crawl. Think about it. Can we eat? I'm going to reel this one back in, okay? So we've got, this is a great movie that we should go, I mean, we could talk more about it if if y'all want to, but I'm conscious of our 1130 deadlines. And I I think there's a couple more, there's a lot more to discuss going on here. But I thought it was a great movie as well. Um, I'm actually looking forward to watching it again Mm -hmm. because Jess wasn't with me when I when I watched it and I was like a little drunk and so I don't totally remember the last bit of it but I'm pretty excited uh, to catch it up and I, I think that's a great pickup anything else you've been watching you want to flag no that's it the kid that's it all right Kai all right time for Kai so given that I feel like I don't have a lot of recent recollections of Boogie Nights I went a bit deeper on the recently watched so Bradford <laughs> did you ever end up checking out White Lotus uh, yes, I did. We're actually four episodes in, and uh, we've been watching one a week. I actually was going to try and catch one tonight, but uh, yeah, a lot of thoughts, a lot of thoughts. But I, but what were you gonna? What were you gonna? And I was just curious if you had finished way. it. But I think when you, no, I haven't finished it. I'm terrified. Don't bring, don't bring. I know there's like twists and stuff, so don't big time, don't tell big me. time. But I do feel like the one thing I'll mention is so for those who haven't seen it, it's sort of a murder mystery at a resort, limited series on HBO, very limited, which I'm a huge fan of. But I do feel like the music, the like original music that they chose, so it's so interesting. It honestly makes the show. I I think it would be a significantly worse show without it. I was talking to Jess about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually rewatched the show just for the music. Shout out Hayburn. But uh, the kid, uh, the son, the teenage son, the music associated with him <laughs> just makes his narrative from being like completely like useless and trite to being like somehow like elevated. Because they like show him on the beach, like whacking off, and then but the music is like orchestral, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I'm like, wow, this is like somehow this existential masterpiece. Like, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen this show, kid? I I just read an article about it, and so the yeah. article was favorite. It, it liked the it definitely was, it liked the show. So I'm I'm interested in seeing it. And I'll, I'll I'll watch it now, especially with that music plug. Remind me of Devs. The music sounds yeah, it devs similar similar That's music. Like that, like, yeah. Is it like that? Lev- same plot basically. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, you know what I mean? Where it's like the music on in devs was like incredible. Yeah, no, it it wasn't. It's not quite as intense. Actually, also, I don't know. I think it's almost that level of def- definition that comes in a from different music. way. Yeah, yeah. Vice principles actually that weird show with Ooh. McBride. Oh yeah, weird, has a really kind of quirky soundtrack in the background that gives it an added layer but anyway yeah cool. i agree that, that 
they like elevated that show without that it would be it would be just like a regular random dumb show yeah agree i i also think i'm not sure i would like it as much as i do other than the fact that like in my formative years i was a bellhop at a hotel and i were i worked as a bellhop and sometimes in like the food service area for i don't know from the ages of 16 to 20 maybe or i don't remember but part you know, even through my freshman year of college even when i went back for summers you now all these kids are doing like fucking software engineering internships but back in my day we were just worked at the hotel and it i've tried so hard to explain this to people people in my life i'm sure i've even said this to you guys before if we've stayed someplace one of the reasons i just can i i'm i can't deal with people who don't engage with like staff places is because having worked at a hotel before full time, everyone at the hotel is knows who everyone else is. Like people forget when they go to these places that everyone in the, like the pool staff, everyone in the, in the catering staff, everyone in the bell service, everyone who cleans your rooms, they all talk to each other. We have fucking radios and we're all friends and we all go smoking together. We all go drinking together after work and all we do is talk about the guests. So you 100% know every little dirty secret about everyone there. And so if you do one thing in front of somebody on this part of the property and you're being a dick or like coming on or like this happened all the time at the hotel, one of the guests would like hit on one of the staff. There were even very similar like homosexual heterosexual mix-ups like there are in the white lotus happening on property all we did was talk about that at lunchtime you know it's like and and so the people who don't uh treat folks so if you think at the hotel yeah. it's it just kill it kills so you me think like if it's siloed like they're not human if you think people treat them like they're not human so your point is that i mean like you're saying that you can't get away with being this siloed person where you're like i'm really great with guest services but I treat the, uh, you know, I treat the plumbing staff. When he comes in here, I'm yelling at him. You can't get away with that. Everybody's gonna know your dirty laundry. You can't be, you know, 100%. slipping the bellhop a five because he's got that cute hat, and then thinking like, you know, going to the maid, but you're yelling at the maid because she didn't leave you a hotel fold or something on your toilet paper. Yeah, and, and everybody knows. And if you shit. do something, yeah, and then if you get drunk and say something dumb at the bar or like hit on the bartender, nice, yeah. like. The, the person who's serving you dinner the next night fucking knows about that. And and maybe they put their pubic hairs yeah, in yeah, your pasta yeah. because you're being a dick. No, I believe and that. that shit happens. I believe that. <laughs> so, That's what you used to do? Be nice to people who handle your food and who handle your rooms. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I, I went off huge tangent it just it, that i really love that about that show because i'm like i've been trying to explain this to <laughs> yeah i do feel like yeah. i should get uh a bellhop job at a hotel for like a month and then quit and then rewatch this see if there's a different perspective just yeah key takeaway for everybody just tip the bell boys your life is going to be so much easier and you're not going to ever eat pubes very important <laughs> That's huge. That's huge. So yeah, what else you got for us, KY? Yeah, that's one. Um, number two, <laughs> <laughs> number two, Squid number Game. Six. Obviously, Squid big game. big time part of the Zeit. I don't know that's if both of you guys of have finished it. Uh, we finished it yesterday afternoon, actually. No. Yeah, I thought I saw the first opening series 
I thought it was going to be like a, uh, The Floor is Lava. I thought it was like one of those Netflix game shows. <laughs> yeah, same, game. same. Yeah. And I thought and, it was a game show. Yeah, I thought I did. I, I thought it was a game show. Then the first, uh, then the first, I, this guy was eating noodles on the ground, and I was like, I don't think this is a game show. So I got to come back to that one. Yeah, it's like pretty sure it's not legal to like kill people um, during a game show. It's like that. What is that show? That Japanese show that they dubbed and put oh, on I love that show. <laughs> I no, know. yeah, it was on Spike as well. Spike TV. It was Spike. called uh, the most outrageous something or other. Or yeah. That show is, oh, it's like, we, ooh, this is not that what, I, what I was thinking. Gila was. douche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great late night programming. Oh, yeah. Because, huzzah. Yeah, yeah. It's my birthday. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, KY. Go, go ahead. Um, so, uh, yeah, I do think we might need to do a full ep on this at some point, but um, I wasn't super into it to start off the first two or three episodes I thought were okay. I think one of the issues was my Netflix for some reason defaulted to the show being dubbed over in mm. English. Yikes. And I didn't realize you could change that. So around like episode three, somebody was like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta step up, step up the game, get some Korean language going on in there. So I changed it, put on Korean English subtitles and it was a totally different show. I mean, it was 10 times better than what I saw before. Um, I have a very controversial opinion about <coughs> controversial opinion about this. I tried both. Far prefer the English dub. No way. Ooh, yeah, I yikes. know. I know. I know. <laughs> Every time I've brought that up, I feel like I'm gonna get crucified. That's but. probably why you don't spell honor with a U. That's exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> Bradford is just outing himself as this lowbrow. I don't like lowbrow honor with a U. Feeder. <laughs> the Mandalorian is the most trash television Get show, and I like du- English dubbed Korean. So, you know, can't make me a pariah. Well, that's Fine. A good thing uh, with Boogie Nights, you know, uh, because you know it does walk that fine that tightrope between this highbrow, lowbrow dialectic. Where, it, and I think it does, and so that's definitely one of the uh, that's great like things part about of the Boog- Boogie Nights. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. That is the best, most important part. I think of the the movie so let's put that yeah keep that simmering on the back let's burner keep that simmering for sure back. keep that heat on low um oh, i thought you guys said submarine i was like yeah keep that submarine just deep dive deep down and then you have it surface <laughs> later we'll just keep that submarine just touch the ocean floor it. bump yeah. bump the ocean floor a little bit you know just get that nice that's just secret so yeah and then the last couple things I wanted to call out were just some of the upcoming things that I think are going to be great for content viewing and just our discussions. So there's a new PTA movie. I don't know if you guys saw the trailer. It's called Licorice Pizza. Mm. Sounds bad. <laughs> sounds delicious. If it sounds it's great. Better it's... than uh, Anima. I think it'll be a. <laughs> that was. <laughs> That was a trip. that was an interest, interesting interesting uh, detour for PTA, but yeah. So we have that movie I think coming out. I want to say like later this year, and then No Time to Die just came out. The final Dan Craig movie. Uh, definitely need to go see that. I don't know about you guys, but I I'm a huge I'm just a fucking huge Dan Craig fan. I think he's the best Bond ever even though we're like the Pierce Brosnan generation technically. So that's a must watch. And then 
I think like maybe this was like two weeks ago, but on like a Friday afternoon after lunch, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to like try to microdose a little bit, get the juices flowing, get some work done, do some creative work, you know, maybe edit the, the There Will Be uh, Blood podcast a bit, try to unlock some new signals. But the the shrooms I have are in this like powder. It's like ground up powder. Ooh, you macrodosed on accident? Yeah. And the scale... Sorry, not to jump ahead, but yeah. that's exactly where this is going. Yeah. The scale that Bianca has, I didn't realize, is not sensitive enough to capture below like one gram increments. Mm, it rounds. So yeah. I was like, you know, I'm going to take like half a gram here. So I started like pouring it onto the scale. Nothing. It stated zero. I was like, oh, maybe it's like really light. It's like air, right? <laughs> so I just started pouring more and more on. Of course, it's really light is the answer. <laughs> Yeah, and then I just pounded it and um, had a couple meetings later. And then, uh, yeah, after about like 30 minutes, once the vision started getting, <laughs> started vibrating a bit, I was like, oh, yeah, I think uh, this is not going to bode well for those meetings. So I tried to, tried to move some of them. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll like take, I'll, I'll like roll up a J, take like one hit, just like calm down a little bit. Took one hit of that and. <laughs> <laughs> the entire thing just hit in like a huge wave and I was gone very macro and then uh ended up watching the philosopher's commentary of the matrix which was hmm. probably the most epic thing I've seen maybe in my entire life actually besides for wow. like the original matrix without the commentary so this is a highly recommend where can we watch that uh you have to purchase the movie and then I'm it's a special feature the philosopher's commentary yeah and it's like Sounds a legit. it's like a couple it's two i think they're both uh, philosophy professors and they just talk about like the philosophical themes as like you watch the movie with them it's super cool okay well on that note on cox let me just quickly slip in some thoughts or did you want to wrap up anything else what, what if any, yeah, any wrap, did you want to wrap, wrap up wrap your philosophers yeah just wrap it up <laughs> Make sure you wrap up, up that. that <laughs> yeah, rig. I think we're wrapped on on the Kai and uh, Bradford. Let's cool. hear what's what's going on with you. So watched almost everything you guys brought up. So I'm not going to mention those. And I'm, the only one I actually wanted to talk about is Black Forty Seven. Have you guys watched Black Forty Seven? Because oh, I haven't even I, heard of this. Yeah, no, recommend. you told me about it, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I I need to I need to watch that. So the the MDib summary is set in ireland during the great famine the drama follows an irish ranger who has been fighting for the british army abroad as he abandons his post to reunite with his family and it is a revenge drama for revenge drama i mean whoo i am uh it's a i mean it's a, absolutely a must watch it's been on my watch list on netflix for it's one of those that like has lingered there, you know. You know how you put something on there after you read an article and you're like, "Oh, I'm definitely gonna watch that." And then like six months later, you're like, "Well, I forgot about this even was." Happened to put it on one night. I was trying to do it as one of those elevator music movies where I was trying to do something at like work a little bit and watch it at the same time. Absolutely, just shut it down, riveted for the entirety of the couple hours. A couple of things I want to say about it. Um, it's well, so it's a very like archetypal movie. So it's not, don't go for it like looking for something that's like super original. But the 
you know, like when you watch a movie that is like an archetype, uh, or, or just a, yeah, like just a, a best in class, um, archetype for something that you like and appreciate. That's what this is. The use of silence in this movie, you know, as a accent to, to the, or almost the sound and the speaking is almost an accent to the silence versus the other way around in this film. And that is such a rare thing to find. Uh, I think in something where it's like a drama, not just like a, an action or like a horror flick. And when you, when you guys watch it, what I want you to look out for is how frequently the main character stares down someone who's about to kill him and how often that that works from preventing that person from shooting. And I think that's a microcosm of like what the broader movie is like, uh, I mean, sorry, movie is about, which is like when you see something, when someone is, is doing something fundamentally wrong, morally wrong, like breaking sort of the, the code that we ultimately all live by, by living next to each other in a society often or not, as often as not by like really magnifying and, and addressing the evil that someone is committing will actually, I think even when that person has, is in a position of power, will actually st- stop them by forcing them to reflect. And I think it's both like a dark thing and a, and, and a, and a, and a, and a bright thing at the same time. The dark part is that so much of society can be, sort of tricked or like coerced into doing like truly fucked up things like what was happening during the great famine um, in Ireland. But also almost everybody has something profoundly empathetic, like a a thread of compassion in them that can be like awoken in the right situation. Anyway, that was my little monologue on about it. Couldn't recommend it enough. It's a fucking hell of a movie. Uh, Not like mind blowingly great, but like great two hours spent. Pick it up. What is it called again? Black 47, the numbers, 47. This is uh, with Hugo Weaving? Uh, Yeah, Hugo Weaving is in the movie. That's right. Well, then, that's a must-watch. But he's indiscernible from all the other smutty uh, Irish (laughs) fighters, though. (laughs) (laughs) No, Hugo Weaving's actually a great character. He's like a... Yeah, Hugo Weaving plays like the, like... The like drunk, smutty drunk uh, man inspector, you know. Smutty drunk yeah. man one. Yeah, smutty drunk Irishman one. All right, with that, shall we enter a spoil-filled discussion about Boogie Nights at last? Yeah, let's jump into the feature. KY, do you want to give us do this the honors of reading the description? I will. So this is obviously continuing our PTA special. Here's the MDIB. So, back when sex was safe, pleasure was a business and business was booming. An idealistic porn producer aspires to elevate his craft to an art when he discovers a hot young talent. That's not that's not one of the worst ones we've seen. Yeah. It's like they stopped at about the like minute 15. <laughs> As, Just uh, the opening sequence. As someone with three children, I can definitely uh, testify that sa- that sex sex is no longer safe. It's very dangerous. <laughs> it, is, it is very dangerous. Very dangerous. In the year twenty. In the year twenty twenty one. Let's let's get the kid the 
resident expert. Will you start with, with your notes overall? So just Boogie Nights, as far as themes for Boogie Nights, I like to, I got three big ones and then I have a, such a great, very unique perspective and theory that is all mine on the movie and I want to hear y'all's uh, take on it. Mm. So first is obviously we talked about the highbrow, lowbrow dialectic, how you have this movie that's just full open kimono on the porn industry and that's what kind of like drives a lot of people's interests and gets you through the fact that there's kind of really no uh, narrative arc you know there's no personal narrative arc i'd say there's like a kind of a um industry-wide narrative arc that is is given it says burt reynolds is kind of like but it's really a, this kaleidoscope mirage of a bunch of different people and what is driving i think the viewer's interest is that it's a it's about porno it's about pornography so that hot yeah go ahead can I address that now, or do we? Or do you mean? I'm just going to introduce. I'm just going to introduce these things, and we and okay. I'll see which okay. ones you want to talk about. Number two, what's in a name? Uh, this idea that you could just have this new identity. You just switch up your name, and it gives you this blank slate. And for more or less, you're able to kind of restart. People, you know, the Gatsby critics might say that you can never, uh, you know, undo the past or whatever that quote is. But uh, you see. Uh, these guys kind of do a new name and that gives them a new lease on life and that is a uh, pretty pretty uh, I would say prevalent in Hollywood which you when you look about kind of the anti-semitic uh, legacy of Hollywood and how these early Jewish uh, voices would have to change their names like a Michael du like a Kirk Douglas or um, etc and next this is the th uh, the third one is the thrill of discovery so we see this all the time with like movies that we're watching or or music that we come upon and we see this in Burt Reynolds and this is kind of a more thematic kind of life lesson where we end up or we are completely bi we're very much biased towards something if we discover it because we like to have that cool origin story where I heard about this music because my buddy uh, brought me to a concert and at the concert I met a musician and it's their band or however you come upon the music or the movie or the piece of art, if you come upon it in a very personal way and it's not a part of kind of this larger culture that's forced upon you, you, you impose on that piece of art some added significance that then you're like, you think it's the best. And where this comes up is mm -hmm. the kid from Torrance, um, Burt Reynolds' character, Jack Horner, sees him in the back of a, a, back of a diner and now he wants to make this kid a star. And it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because uh, the, these gatekeepers, you know, that kid could have been anything. But because he attaches himself to Burt Reynolds, that is, attaches himself to that character, he's like, he has a personal goal to make this guy shine. You see it in Entourage when Ari uh, Gold always has that quote where he says, you know, I found you in a Mentos commercial. And, and so, and you're yeah. like... Great reference. You know, you could have found it. You could have made anybody a Hollywood star, basically, really, with your influence and power. But you just like this little uh, pet story that you have in your own life, and that's what you bring a little bit more significance onto it. So that's the three: uh, highbrow, lowbrow, what's in a name, and the thrill of discovery. And then my personal theory is that so we all know 
that this movie Boogie Nights is about the porn industry and it's supposed to be this, you know, real this snapshot at the porn industry and how kind how just weird it is and ugly it is. But that there are these also relationships of people and it's everybody's livelihood and so so that's the on its face. But I had this theory that instead of it being a snapshot a real snapshot of of the porn industry. Instead, it was a more um, anecdotal, uh, basically an analogy for Hollywood itself. So we, so you have this idea that oh, we're watching what it used to, what it's like to be in the porn industry, and I think Paul Thomas Anderson is saying no, you're watching what it's like to be in Hollywood. This isn't, this isn't the Valley. This is, this is the silver screen. Uh, this is how ugly it is in our industry so it's a self-deprecating um kind of tell-all I, I think there's certainly aspects of that i would say i don't want to downplay your highbrow lowbell comment uh theme though because i actually think there's more value in that than the side commentary i i think you're what you just said is accurate and i, I think that's an interesting side commentary but the key to me is i find that piece of it to be one of the most interesting and having seen it like six times the one that comes out to me that the thing that comes out to me the most having watched it the most um that many times is this concept that here's a bunch of people who are uh involved in honestly a type of art a type of creation truly um that almost everyone since the dawn of time has had some desire for involvement for there's been demand for it's had different expressions across different societies and different eras etc right and it can be extended beyond the sex trade it can be anything that is considered you know somehow sinful or or not mainstream but still desired by almost everybody within a society and um in this case it's porn right but but um it's this absolutely fascinating place where you have this group of people who are involved in creating it and who are loved almost unanimously in some way, I think, but who, when actually are encountered in the real world, become pariahs, they're outcasts, um, because no one wants to acknowledge in the light of this, you know, the light of day in open society that they're actually involved with this thing that everyone else is involved with everyone else has been involved with or knows someone who's consumed. Um, I, I find that to be like an absolutely fascinating like commentary. I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what you meant by highbrow, lowbrow, but, but to me it's like the idea of having porn people, um, yeah, as they call it, I think in a, in a New Yorker article I read when I was doing some reading about this, uh, is I thought, you know, yeah, fascinating. Like, how many how many industry how how old is this industry and how old is this situation that people have been in? So highbrow, lowbrow, is you know I don't know a definition for it. All I know is I know it when I see it. And John C. Riley is highbrow, lowbrow. So yeah. like his person is highbrow, lowbrow. The fact that he is this like staged, trained. Chicago theater actor, but then has that uh, Dr. Steve Brule uh, alter ego. If you guys have ever seen that show um, with stock, with uh, I think it's like the Tim and Kenny laugh hour. Oh, uh, 
Tim and Eric. Tim and Eric. He's yeah. like Steve Brule. But, uh, and also, yeah, in this movie, too, like that first, when you first see him, he's so goofy. And do you lift weights? Yeah, exactly. And How especially when he, when he drinks the, when Mar- he hands Mark Wahlberg the uh, margarita, and Mark Wahlberg takes a sip, he like, gets all into his face to see if he likes it. Like, he, le- he leans yeah. in, he's like, does he like it? <laughs> this is the perfect movie for John C. Reilly. I, I think it's, the per- yeah, I think it's the perfect movie. Unlike Magnolia, for example, where I thought it was trash, he was trash, but because he wasn't occupying that space so effectively, your highbrow, lowbrow space where he like fits in so perfectly. Yeah, the kid. Uh, I do like, really like your perspective on the meta commentary of Hollywood. Because mm-hmm. yes, so I guess for background, I, I've only yes, seen <laughs> I've only seen this once, right? Which is a shame, and I think I need to see it at least three times in my opinion but the thing that stuck with me the most especially towards the last 25 percent of the movie is the study of Dirk Diggler in terms of how he derives his identity his self-esteem kind of like how he views his worth in whatever it is that he's doing his like life purpose and I do find that I think modern day celebrities and a lot of like the huge megastars have that same type of fragility with the way that they and and maybe there's an exception to this once you get to like the tom cruise type level but i think you know until you know fragility there's no fragility there but i do think with a lot of celebrities they sort of live and die by ex external mechanisms that determine how they think they should feel how they think they should be valued and are sort of like at the mercy of the masses to a certain extent. But don't, don't you think there's something fundamentally different about this than that though? Cause like if any of those people from Hollywood go out and about people crowd them and like want to be with them. Whereas like the fact that they're involved, someone might watch one of these porn movies, right? Five times a week and then see Dirk Diggler Mark Wahlberg's character in the store and be like, I don't want to be associated with you. I think there's some, I, I don't, I don't think the comparison makes a ton of sense. I mean, I, so, I get the, uh, I can speak to that Bradford and also to KY's point, um, about the, uh, the fragility and, you know, I don't know these people in Hollywood, but I've heard that the industry is like that where you're dealing with him. When you first see Dirk Diggler, he's flexing and punching, uh, in front of the mirror. So you have this self-image, and that's where he's gaining his self his self worth, is um, in his own image, and in his sexuality. And to Bradford's point, that crowds will surround a Hollywood actor, but crowds will uh, look and turn their nose down at a uh, pornography star. Uh, I would say that who is who is crowding around a Hollywood Hollywood actor? I have great great pity. For some of these uh, these celebrities that have to live in the limelight and live without any privacy, because they've gone down this rat route that they've chosen, because they you know maybe were striving for fame and uh, striving for whatever, and have found themselves as a celebrity and on on screen, and uh, it's a very superficial living that only a few select. Again, I'm generalizing. I don't know any 
famous actors, but it seems like uh, you live and die by Twitter and ratings and and this and that, and you're finished if your if your show doesn't really take off. Yeah, I mean that's fair, I guess, and maybe I'm just trying to combine two things and both thoughts are accurate. Well, let, me I, give I just... my, let me give the evidence at least for the uh, Hollywood as it's just a couple few things that can that kind of hint towards it throughout. And first of all, the first shot is of the movie theater marquee, and it says Boogie Nights. When there's that roving uh, camera in the great opening disco sequence. Fantastic. And it says Boogie Nights is in the actual uh, marquee on the club. There's box office right there. So you're headed into, you know, uh, Boogie Nights. You're not, porn industry, you're also looking at uh, Hollywood, the silver screen. Also, the... If you guys remember, a few, about six or seven years ago, a lot of these 80s child actors came out and said that they were abused and, like, tossed around and thrown around. Like, the guys from The Goonies, uh, the guys from, kind of, I think, The Warriors, whatever that, that movie was. Think of, like, your late 80s teen heartthrob. Those boys, those young actors were like repeatedly abused throughout the uh the industry in order to make it in order to make it and you see kind of like the the lingering effects of that with your harvey weinsteins where there's this Hmm. pay for play uh i'll get you on this i'll get you on the screen but you're gonna have to do xyz and and so that aspect of it is reflected in boogie nights with that obviously the thin uh the colonel producer his underage uh coked out girlfriend who ends up ODing. Um, I think that is another uh, aspect of it. And then the name changing is another thing where a lot of Hollywood stars have different or born with different names because that's just, you know, that's their new persona when they head out to Hollywood. So that's just three uh, little pieces of evidence to support the Boogie Nights as Hollywood or the porn industry as Hollywood. Sure. And I, I guess I would say I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I, I just think that's so on the nose that it's not even like I, I, I found that to be the like obvious and the nuance to be in the fact that it was a un, it was the underbelly of that exact the, uh, the opposite side of that exact same co- coin. But let's not linger on that because there's a lot to talk about, and I think we broadly agree. I, I just, I just, I'm not sure I would necessarily linger focus on that commentary as much as on what it means to be in an industry that is thankless in public, but has all of those same aspects as Hollywood and the same issues with it. Um, So can I go back to your narrative arc, which I think was part of your commentary about, or maybe it was a sub point just that you happened to breeze by when talking about high low brow. I think I wanted to just flag. I think that the, uh, this is one of the few examples of a successful war and peace style storyline storytelling where um, it starts off almost at the peak of of or sorry it starts off at the it's almost like an early climax concept with a non uh, almost a lack of a, a clear protagonist or like a clear individual's narrative arc and what you're doing is actually seeing an entire era and an entire industry uh, or, you know, in the case of war and peace, like a society and a a war, obviously, but in this case, uh, Hollywood pornography, just generally the inner, the Western entertainment industry 
throughout like what five decades four decades um and so many people try so many directors try in the movie form i think uh like the two to three hour movie form try to do the war and peace thing and totally fuck it up and they do such a good job i think with this and boogie nights um because it's so hard to do to weave those storylines together so anyway i thought that was an interesting point you brought up i totally totally agree and I couldn't stop thinking. I was like, it's like war and peace. It's like porn, war and peace. Porn and <laughs> porn and peace. Porn and peace. <laughs> Bradford, is is that the reason why, or is that one of the main reasons why you, it seems like you hold this movie in like a incredibly high regard in terms of like PTA's <laughs> filmography. I guess it's like this and there will be blood. And I feel like the sense I get from you is that everything else is kind of secondary to those two, which I think is... I think he tries to do it in Magnolia, and I think he fails. And I think Boogie Nights is the successful version of that, where you're you're drawn along as, like... I don't know. I I love the idea of the almost... It's almost like an inverted plot arc where you have... Yeah, where you have an early climax in some ways. But, all right, so, yeah. So I think you're right, I mean, that's my opinion. I'm also biased in the same way. I'm biased just because, you know, I have some great memories of watching this movie. But uh, it's funny because, like, you wouldn't or for me personally, I've never considered Mark Wahlberg a phenomenal actor in like the traditional sense. But (laughs) I can't imagine anyone else playing this movie (laughs) and being able to strap on an 11 and a half inch rig in the same way with the same amount of confidence because I, I think i'd read somewhere that leo was actually the first one that was offered this role and he turned it down Ooh. paving the way for marky mark he knew he couldn't handle it the rig. <laughs> yeah. wait can i just throw something out there about the rig this is not relevant or to like any broader conversation but one thing i love about this one of the first notes i wrote is that mark Wahlberg shows his dick to like 11 people in this movie and his dick is like the, it's like the, it's like the religious symbol that upon viewing, it's like the Ark of the Covenant. It's like upon viewing it, it like reveals, it like suddenly demasks the character and you like see something fundamental about the people who see his cock. Like it's, I just couldn't help but notice this. I, this is the first time I noticed that, but each person who sees it has a slightly different facial expression. <laughs> it like <laughs> brings out something fundamental about their character, and I was just laughing my ass off each time somebody did it. Well, on that conspiratorial note, we're about running out of time here. Should we jump into uh, ratings? Okay, so as far as out of five stars, you have its entertainment value. It's an entertaining movie. It's got a lot of great technical aspects of it in terms of its its editing, its shot, the the trucks that I feel like PTA lives on because he's just every shot is a truck pan or a truck zoom and, and Robert Elswit by the way. Yeah. Just want to shout him out on that, not just PTA. Y- yeah, I don't I don't know the you're a big Elswit guy. He's the cinematographer on like most of PTA stuff, and he's responsible for a lot of those like long shots. But sorry, and that go ahead. And, and that's a big part of it because, like I said, when you're gonna pull, or like you were talking about, you're gonna try and pull off this kaleidoscopic, many different live story lives. You have to be able to keep their viewers' attention, and he does that with these little kind of little sub 
creative ways. Like, for example, in that pool shot, the girl jumps under the water. It follows her under the water. When you're under the water, the sound, the song that's playing is like, spill one, get that girl. It actually, the effects of that song are wavy and undulated uh, when you're under that water. It's a really cool thing. If you like listen closely, so you're like, oh, that's crazy. Even though the set, the music is getting wavy. So little stuff like that, it really keeps the viewer involved and it allows you to stay tuned to what is a long movie and a lot of, you got to have a lot of buy-in. So I'd say entertainment, that's a long way of saying entertainment, three, historical import. What was it that? Was Sorry, you said three, 3.0? Three three. Yeah, three. Uh, historical import, it got Paul Thomas Anderson on the scene, which is his, historical in its in its own right. So the film, as far as introducing one of our greatest uh, American film directors and getting him basically blank checks in the industry has to be given a four a four and then on historical or um performative measures of uh, self-righteousness julianne moore's <laughs> in it julianne moore's in it she's always talking about you know that stuff and mark Wahlberg had that really uh really nice so on the zulu axis let's see burt reynolds is a really nice guy too I don't know how much they're really performing their self-righteousness outside of self, uh, Julianne Moore. So probably a one, probably a one. Hmm. Introducing yeah. porn to like a bunch of like young film buffs when we're in our formative years is probably not the best thing, but we're already there. I'm not sure that was what introduced porn <laughs> to us. This is my first maybe. porno movie I've ever seen. Hmm. Interesting. Well, thank you. That was great. Very thoughtful rating. KY, hit us. So yeah, my rating, so Bradford, I, I know, I feel like you were expecting more than a 3.0 on entertainment value from the kid. Well, just the description sounded very, it was very plus, <laughs> double double plus. So I was just, that's the only reason I, I, I didn't come with Yeah. preconceived notions. So for entertainment value, I agree. I thought it's a pretty entertaining movie. It's obviously incredibly well made from like a filmmaking perspective, which I appreciated is this something where I feel like I'm dying to go rewatch all the time? Definitely not. At least not at this point. It is two hours and 40 minutes. That's a plus and a minus in my opinion, but I'm going to give this a 3.5 entertainment value. I thought it was a solid mm-hmm. movie. And then, you know, the last scene with the <laughs> 13 and a half incher seared in the brain. That That's where that 0.5 comes from. So, uh-huh. yeah, that's your revelatory moment. Yeah, that's your. I wish I had filmed myself r- and my own facial reaction. <laughs> uh, and then <laughs> historical import. So I'm sort of torn about this one, but I do feel like this was such an important moment for PTA to have done this movie and get the reception that it got. And especially in the t- like time period that he made this. And kind of like a lot of the things surrounding his aspirations for what he wanted to do with his career, the things that would come after this or the things that this enabled was huge. And let's not forget, he made this movie when he was 26, which is Jesus still Christ. just mind blowing. I to didn't think know about. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what? 
So for those reasons, this is a 4.0 historical import. Wow. Okay. Well, wow, drop that bomb on me. I didn't, I knew you, I thought he was in his like early 30s. That's nuts. Nuts. Uh, Genius. Don't fact check me, but. Yeah, we're not about facts here, (laughs) so that doesn't, we're not, yeah, definitely not going to do that. I think those are both great ratings, great justifications. I, I think you guys said a lot of what I was thinking. Entertainment value for me, I I really, really, uh, I've seen this quite a few times. I think it, I, everything you guys said about how well it's made has really struck me. And I've, I'm just a huge fan of the way that the storytelling is done. I love the narrative aspect of it. Like I said, I hate it when it's done poorly. I fucking love it when it's done well. And I think that the narrative being about a historic time, but it's still like having super interested, interesting characters um, driving that, but not in like a linear way, really compelling. Um, and I just absolutely love the uh, broader like discussion about honestly what porn means to society around in terms of like, like how does the entertainment industry pop up around something that is both faux pas, but like, you know, one of the earliest industry, you know, a, a, a modern representation, one of the earliest industries in the history of like human societies, right. Is like prostitution or pornography. Anyway, long way of saying, very entertaining. I think it's a 4.5 for me. Watched it like six times. I'll probably watch it again. Uh, historic imports. Not going to add anything to what you guys already said. 4.0 for me. Uh, launched PTA's career in a lot of ways. And I think in some ways it did a disservice to movies because I think a lot of people have tried to do that type of narrative structure and it has blown up and made bad movies. But in terms of that in and of itself, I think is something super, you know, worth saying about how impactful it was on Hollywood. So uh, 4.5, 4.0, one of my higher ratings, huge fan of this movie, probably my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson. Wow. You're really gushing. That I'm might, gushing. that might be your second highest rating <laughs> ever. Do we have, is there a log? Do we have your, uh, his, your, Historic average. We don't believe in we don't believe in documentation either. and Check. Yeah. Check. <laughs> so damn we're forward we're factless we should, and uh, forward looking. Yeah, well you guys have a really great thing going here and yeah, so yeah, I thanks for having me again guys and uh Booger Sugar. Alright team. What's next on the Thank agenda? You, kid. I, oh real quick, if you had a look, so in the in the movie Don Cheadle's character is always looking for the look. He's like cowboy, and then he was the the Egyptian yeah. Egyptian Egyptian <laughs> disco or something. And then she yeah. asked the girl Becky Barnett, "What's your look? Well, what's your look?" And she goes, "I'm chocolate love." So I ask you, KY, what is your look? Who? I don't remember that scene at all. <laughs> don't dodge. Don't dodge the question. Don't. Question. What's your look? Yeah. KY. But what's your look, KY? So what does that even mean? Like. Like, what are we talking about here? I'm talking about your look. Like, your look. You were wearing a, a sweatshirt that had A24 on it. That's part of your look. What's your look? That's a look. That's definitely a look. My look, I feel like these days, is sort of like this post apocalyptic, but <laughs> but like non, non Kanye formative type of aesthetic more generally. And then on a slightly deeper level, kind of like post <laughs> post corporate work structures so that's a hell of a that's look. my 
It's post-apocalyptic athleisure. Is what you're trying to say. Exactly. I like it. Bradford, your look? I don't have a look. Come on, bro. You got a look. My look is... But you have a look. My look is, you know, privileged white... Ooh, male nice, by nice. coastal elite the south <laughs> by coastal elite wow. you can pretty much urban i would say urban elite uh you can pretty much you know shoehorn me right in there i mean you know exactly you know you're like a you're a henry for sure that's your look I, i'm i'm gonna say yeah I'm, I'm just probably the most you know i'm a i'm a sheep you might say sheep yeah whatever's on instagram i buy it that's your look. I'm just Becky, kidding. I don't even Becky have an Barnett, Becky, but. Yeah, you do. Becky Barnett has chocolate love and you have sheep. All right. I dig <laughs> it, man. I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> we all, Yeah, we all got to find something. Well, let's cut out my look. What's your look, the kid? Actually, how about you answer this instead? Mark Wahlberg, Dirk Diggler in this movie says, everyone in this world is blessed with their own special little thing. Okay. What's your special thing? My special little thing? Or big Beyond thing. my rig. <laughs> my special little thing. I have this enormous uh, guilt, which uh, can be good and can be bad. Sometimes it propels me into the depths of, uh, of hell, and I just torment myself because I, I hold myself to a higher standard, and especially, you know, pornography, the dark arts. It's, that stuff is really tempting, and it's not healthy. So... That you know, guilt. But on the on the one hand, it, it should drive you towards uh, trying to make the people who love you proud of you and make them happy. Uh, at sometimes at a cost to your own person, but you should do that to make them feel happy. So, my little thing in this world, I would say, is my 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 strong sense of guilt. Well, it's so Catholic of you to say that. Defense against I'm the so- dark arts. Well, great answer. I don't know how to think about that, but I'm glad to know about it. Yeah, I can just cut, can very cut my answer, actually. <laughs> don't show my answer on, on the air. Just keep it to sheep. 